0: Hello, you're listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samir Keynes Trade and Globalization Editor at The Economist.
1: And I'm Chad a Senior Fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics.
0: This episode is about falling global trade. There is a downturn that is happening right now, and there was one that happened in 2009.
1: In that earlier one, the, the one from 2009, that one was pretty extreme. It was so big that it was called the Great Trade Collapse. This one could be much, much worse.
0: On April 8th, the World Trade Organization published its trade forecast, and it was it was not pretty. Here is Roberto Azevedo, the Director General of the WTO, summarizing the numbers.
2: In an optimistic scenario, our economists see uh, the volume of global merchandise trade falling by uh, 13% this year uh, compared to 2019. If the pandemic is not brought under control and governments fail to implement and coordinate effective policy responses, the decline could be 32% or, or, or even more. Because again, let me emphasize that all these projections are highly uncertain
1: A drop of 13% would be a lot. That's about how much trade volumes fell in 2009 around the the global financial crisis. But 32% would really be a lot.
2: Uh, It's about the same size of the 1930s, over three years, and we're having that in just one year.
0: Now, we're going to leave a discussion of the 1930s and just how messed up the global economy was back then to another episode. And before we get on to discussing what's happening now, We're going to talk more about what happened in 2009, what happened during the great trade collapse.
1: The National Bureau for Economic Research has declared that a recession began in December of 2007. Wall Street veterans call it the worst financial crisis of their lifetimes.
2: The Federal Reserve is backing a loan to prevent the collapse of investment bank Bear Stearns and to stabilize the financial market.
1: It was a manic Monday in the financial market. Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old firm, filed for bankruptcy. Adding to the pressure,
2: Fitch is lowering its rating on, on AI. financial crisis allowing the U.S. auto industry to collapse is not a responsible course of action.
1: So as the financial system was seizing up, the great trade collapse started to happen. So starting around the third and, and fourth quarter of 2008 and then the first quarter of 2009, things really fell off a cliff. Overall, real World trade in goods fell about 15% between the first quarter of 2008 and the first quarter of 2009. And this meant that trade was falling about four times as fast as world gross domestic product, that the growth of the, the world economy was actually shrinking.
0: This global trade collapse affected pretty much everyone simultaneously. There had never been such a large synchronized collapse in global trade. And and I think one motivating uh, factor in all this, one reason we should care about this, is because you can think of trade as as a sort of mechanism by which these shocks in in one country are connecting to shocks in other countries. It's a kind of propagation mechanism.
1: In terms of decomposing what was actually happening to this, this fall in trade, some of it was prices. Commodity prices, especially, they fell. And that contributed in and of itself to a big part of the value of, of trade collapsing. Especially big was oil. Uh, oil prices had been very, very high. When you look at just the US trade collapse, about a third of the decline of US imports you can attribute to oil.
0: So yeah, some of the decline in trade values was just prices falling, but a lot of it was trade volumes. Uh, the other thing to say about how, how this trade collapse happened, the nature of it, is that it wasn't... The same across all different kinds of products. Um, so trade in in manufactured and industrial goods fell by much more than consumer goods uh, and commodities. The collapse was much more extreme for autos, for, for industrial supplies. So that's things like steel, chemicals, plastics, that kind of thing. Um, and then and then also those differences meant that some countries were not hit as hard as others. So countries in in Latin America producing commodities, uh, excluding oil, they weren't hit as hard as some of the big, you know, auto producers, for example.
1: So that's the goods side of trade. In terms of services, services trade turned out to be much more resilient. So in the United States, services trade fell by only about half as much as goods trade fell. Though there was some differences within services trade. So, so the bigger falls happened in international transport services. So of course, with all the goods trade falling, you need you know less shipping, uh, less air freight, and then less passenger transport as well. Tourism did not do particularly well during this time period. But other private services, and so that's business services, those only fell by 7%, both for exports and imports. And overall, services trade only fell 15 to 17% for the United States. So that actually was much, much less than the fallen goods trade.
0: Okay, so that's what happened. But in the moment, we know that trade data comes out with a lag. We might not get the detailed product categories. Services data comes out with a big lag. Um, and so, you know, in the moment, it wasn't exactly clear what was driving this. Now, people, I think, knew that trade was falling, but they didn't know exactly why. So Chad, where where were you?
1: So at that moment in time, I was a professor at Brandeis University and I had spent a good chunk of my career up until then collecting data on tariffs or special tariffs, anti-dumping tariffs. And so as someone who's naturally suspicious about protectionism, when I saw the the reports about the trade collapse happening, I thought, ah, maybe it's governments imposing all sorts of nasty protectionist trade barriers. And so, what I did is is I updated this thing that I had built called the Global Anti Dumping Database to try to check and see if indeed that's what was contributing to you know the fall in trade that we were observing at that moment.
0: Okay, so you were on the front lines of this this global trade collapse, ready to catch any any protectionism. So what did what did you find? Was it protectionism? Was it the tariffs?
1: Yeah, no, not really. Um, so there there was an increase in anti-dumping trade barriers that that happened during that time period, but it was basically just increasing on trend. There wasn't a major, major upswing relative to what one might have expected. So no, at the end of the day, it really, at least in, in those kinds of trade barriers, it wasn't protectionism, certainly that had driven the the trade collapse.
0: And and that is kind of surprising, right? Given given what was happening at the time, because you know back back in the the heat of the global financial crisis, uh, the dollar was was strengthening a lot, right? Everyone was was freaking out, and so they wanted to hold something safe. And so, weirdly, given that the, the crisis started in the U.S., actually everyone started rushing into U.S. assets and buying up dollars, and that meant that the value of the dollar went up. And that made life more difficult for U.S. producers um, because it meant that imports were, were cheaper. And so they were going to essentially be facing greater competition from abroad. And so, so one might have thought that there would be extra pressure on those, on those producers to request tariffs. So, so yeah, it's a bit, a bit weird that we, we didn't see much of an uptick beyond what was happening already.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly right. And we have evidence in that from from research to to find this linkage between appreciations of you know the dollar or the euro and, and demands for protection. And you're exactly right. There was this this major appreciation of both currencies really early on in the crisis. But then what happened is you know almost equally quickly they they depreciated in value. And so in some subsequent work later on after the crisis, Meredith Crowley and I looked into this, and we we basically found evidence that that was a likely contributor to why we didn't actually see all that much protectionism showing up.
0: Okay, so basically, the dollar just depreciated too quickly for those those pressures to build. Yeah, I mean, uh, there were other papers that also looked at this this tariffs protectionism issue. There was one I saw by Hiao Qi and Christina Nigu of the World Bank, and also Alessandra Nusita of UNCTAD. So that their, their paper was published in, in 2013, and they actually found that most countries continued to liberalize trade a bit during the crisis. Now there were, there were some exceptions, there was Russia, Argentina, Turkey, China, but it looks like rising trade barriers could have accounted for up to 2% of the of the decline in trade. So, so maybe it was a little bit of a thing because these, these few big countries were raising their tariffs but it really wasn't contributing very much to the the overall decline. That's 2% of the fall, not two percentage points. Okay, Chad, so it wasn't protectionism. Apologies, it must've been very disappointing for you. Um, So tell us what it was, what was factor number one?
1: So I I think obviously the very big factor uh, behind all of this was just demand. So, you know, demand just fell off a cliff and what that meant is, is people and businesses just stopped spending money. Um, it was this was a financial crisis. It was partially they couldn't get credit. That meant, you know, they couldn't go out and, and buy cars. Businesses just couldn't go out and expand their production facilities. There was just, you know, no appetite for for spending, and that meant there was no appetite for trade.
0: Right, but demand was decreasing in general, right, and therefore GDP was also decreasing, right, and so there's this question of, well, why did trade fall by so much more than GDP?
1: So a big part of this of this drop off in demand is is for durable goods. Consumers, you know, don't want these big ticket items anymore, and that includes things like automobiles, and automobiles and durable goods are just a huge, huge part of trade. And then when you think about the supply chain implications of that, not only are cars you know, a big part of trade, but auto parts are a big part of trade as well. You know, there, there are a lot of these parts that cross the border multiple times before they're assembled into a final vehicle and sold. And you put these things together and the existence of supply chains means that the trade can actually fall by a lot more than GDP is falling.
0: Right. And so if you don't buy an imported car, say, Trade isn't just going to fall by the value of that car. It's going to fall by the value of that car, plus the value of every single component that ever crosses a border in association with that car.
1: So I think that's right. And I think that helps explain this supply chain point, why trade in goods just fell by so much more than trade in services.
0: Yeah. And I suppose another contributing factor to that could have been that um, those goods purchases were just easier to postpone. Richard Baldwin, who's at the the Graduate Institute in Geneva, pointed out at the time that, well, you know, trade and tourism did fall pretty sharply, and that's probably quite similar to a car in that you can postpone it, and so that helps to, you know, confirm this point that that it really was people trying to delay um, consumption because they were they were afraid about about their future income.
1: It's clear that this the demand factors just mattered a lot. Jonathan Eaton uh, at Penn State and and some co-authors estimated that about two-thirds of the decline in world trade relative to GDP can be accounted for by this change in the expenditures on durables, right? So these consumer goods that are just so, so big.
0: I just want to add another interesting thing, um, which is another contributor to the trade collapse that um, that people uncovered in the aftermath. And that is that actually one contributor to the really, really sharp fall in trade was what businesses were doing to their inventories. Um, so what happened was imports fell enormously, um, because the, the companies started basically saying, "Ah, you know what, instead of importing a new thing, we're just going to use up our existing stocks, because we're just unsure about future demand. And so when you do that, um, imports are going to fall by even more than, than however much demand is falling and there was one there was one paper by George Alessandria at, at Rochester and, and some co-authors who who basically argued that this inventory adjustment factor um, could account for up to 20% of the of the fall in. US imports.
1: Another really big factor during during the 2009 trade collapse was the role that the credit crisis itself, played in, in potentially inhibiting trade or, or, or causing trade to collapse? The, the lack of access to credit just might have made it harder for people to actually do the importing and exporting that they might have otherwise wanted to do.
0: So there are different kinds of finance involved in trade. Uh, there's, there's trade finance, which is basically supplying you with the money that you need while that stuff is, I guess, on the water, um, there's this issue in trade that we've discussed in in early episodes where basically if you're producing something, then you need money to cover your costs now. But there might be a gap between when you actually get paid by the, the buyers and they only want to pay when they've actually got the goods in hand. right? And so there's this gap in timing and you need finance to, to cover that gap. And so of these various different kinds of, of finance, the trade finance part of it doesn't seem to have been that big of an issue, at least after the after the fact. There was a, there was a survey um, of 40 major banks that basically re- reported that bank intermediated trade finance largely held up. Now, that, that could be because there were some policy measures to support it.
1: And so there, there, there were actions taken by the the group of 20, the G20 uh, leaders that got together during the crisis and said, hey, we need to do some things. Trade finance was one of the things that they did. So that being said, the the, the credit channel, this finance channel is really, really tricky to measure. There have been a couple of really good papers that have matched firms to the, the banks that they borrowed from and then used the health of the banks themselves as as sort of a proxy for the, the companies, the manufacturers access to credit. And these papers do find some evidence that this channel mattered, that you know, the, the, the higher interest rates, you know, that the banks were having to charge during the, the financial crisis, the less access to credit that you can actually trace that to the trade that was, that was worsening during this time period.
0: Yeah, and just to highlight one of the specific papers, there's one by Kalina Manova at, at University College London and, and Devine Shaw at um, Dartmouth College. And what they do, they, they look at kind of financing conditions more generally, and they find that exports fell by more when they came from countries with higher interbank interest rates. Basically, when, when credit was kind of more scarce, um, as indicated by those higher interest rates, exports were, were lower from those countries
1: overall the, the sort of consensus that emerged was maybe about 15 to 20 percent of the trade collapse could be attributed to the financial channel itself.
0: okay but but wrapping up this section you know what happened in 2009 essentially mostly it was it was a story about demand demand was crashing there were some supply constraints um, particularly on finance that seemed to matter but overall policy didn't seem to make things worse. So maybe well done policy. I guess trade policymakers didn't seem to make things worse. We can we can litigate whether the um, whether the stimulus was good enough uh, on a on a separate episode.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll litigate that on a on a separate episode. So what the Great Trade Collapse did do was, obviously, it provided a boon for research economists to be able to look into all kinds of other questions as well. And so there's a number of really interesting papers out there. So one looked at whether the the fall in trade seemed to come about because exporters simply sold less or whether they went out of business. And what the research found was that most of it came from, from the first one. Exporters were just selling less. And when you think about that, that really makes sense. Given that so much international trade takes place in really, really big firms, these multinationals that are really unlikely to, to go out of business, uh, that's the channel I think that we would expect to actually show up.
0: So another fun nugget, um, just looking into how this happened, um, it looks like there were some changes in terms of the quality that people demanded. So it wasn't just the the kinds of products that people were buying. It was also within those product categories, people were buying different stuff. So there was one study that looked at Argentinian wine um, and found that people were switching away from the high-quality wines and and towards uh, the lower-quality ones, And, and there was a stronger effect... Uh, on smaller companies and I guess you know if you were a boutique high-end exporter producing something super niche you got hit particularly hard by by this shock
1: okay so that's 2009 the great trade collapse but the big question is how worried should we be right now
0: so I think we should be pretty pretty darn worried. Um, the hit to GDP, the hit to global GDP caused by the COVID-19 virus is going to be bigger than the one in, in 2009. Uh, we've just got all sorts of different shocks happening at once. We've got shocks to every single bit of the economy, you know, apart from Zoom, I suppose. But yeah, this, this shock started off in China, this at first looked like it was just maybe going to be a China shock. They, you know, the Chinese economy completely shut down. There are a massive supply of intermediate goods,
1: and as the the disease spread, we've then seen the lockdowns spread around the world as well. And we're now seeing disruption everywhere. Uh, and it's not only the the physical transport of goods, but you know, we're seeing border restrictions that are affecting how people are able to get from one country to another as well. We've seen slowdowns of, of border crossings and you put all this together and the disruption to supply chains can just have big knock-on effects if if companies can't get the inputs that they need then that's going to be a supply side problem compared to tariffs if you just literally can't get the good that's just going to be a really really big problem at the same time that it's it's becoming harder to trade this cost of trade increasing, demand is crashing. Uh, economies are, are grinding to a halt. People are losing their jobs. They're they're not going out to, to stores to buy clothes or lots of other things. And for a lot of people, their, their future income is just really, really uncertain. And with a lot less income and all of this uncertainty, people are just a lot less likely to buy durable goods, especially. So I think we should probably expect that trade is is again going to fall by a lot more than gdp and gdp is going to fall by a lot
0: Uh, we're already seeing signs in terms of blank sailings so basically ships just going empty and you know just logically i do not think trade in tourism is going to have a particularly good time um if you if you really can't fly so you know, a lot of the best data will describe trading goods, so we'll, we'll get a better picture of that more quickly. But in this, this shock, services trade is going to be hit really hard.
1: And the other worrying factor out there is, is finance. Financial conditions in emerging markets especially are, are pretty tight. Dollars are, are scarce, and so we'll, we'll see. Now, at the moment, it, it does appear that the other factors may be more important, uh, but as this thing plays out, you know, it's not impossible that finance constraints might also play a role.
0: Yeah, I think the constraints of people physically not being able to get to the factories is going to be um, extremely important and not a not parallel with 2009. Okay, so there is one quite positive message from, from 2009, which is that things could bounce back um, here is Roberto Azevedo, the DG of the WTO, again.
2: Our economists estimate that if the pandemic is brought under control relatively soon, and the right policies, of course, are in place, uh, trade and output could rebound uh, nearly to their pre-pandemic trajectory as early as 2021, so less next year.
1: And that's something that I, I do remember distinctly about that, that period in 2009, the, the conversation, the discussion of looking for a V-shaped recovery for for trade. And it turns out that trade rebounded almost as rapidly as it fell. So, so we did see that. And so maybe things could get moving again pretty quickly.
2: But there are other scenarios in which trade volumes post-recovery would remain well below the pre-COVID trend line. It is worth remembering that even before the first COVID-19 case was registered, uh, we were not making the most of trade's potential to drive growth.
0: Now, the, the subtext there, without without putting words into um, Azevedo's mouth, uh, is that barriers to trade could make it harder for trade to, to snap back. Now, obviously, um, these barriers that are being erected right now are very, very tricky because they are not being justified on the basis of protection, but on the grounds of health. Um, and and so you know it's just very unclear how how quickly they could be removed, um, whether populations will be willing to have them removed, um, and so it's really unclear at this stage how permanent these these costs of trade uh, will be.
1: And just to update listeners quickly from our, when we first reported on the export bans in our episode of, of March 15th, we've seen a lot more of those in the period since. So the European commission imposed export limits and about $10 billion worth of personal protective equipment. So this is the gear that doctors and nurses have to have access to, to, to treat patients. The United States President Trump just this week uh, imposed export bans as well on respirators, masks and gloves. And overall, 75 governments at this point have imposed some sort of export curb. That's the latest tally that that's come out of the global trade alert as of April 10th. So we're seeing a lot of these export restrictions the good news on these, I, I suppose, if there is any, is that when governments are imposing them, they're writing them in a way that they have expiration dates. So, for example, the the European Commission's uh, export limits were for six weeks. The ones the Trump administration announced this week's were were only for 120 days. So we'll see. Uh, but if those trade barriers are renewed or they stay on a lot longer, I think that's a that's something that could ultimately hurt the trade recovery.
0: Yeah. And I suspect in terms of the overall contributors to trade costs, it's going to be the border measures um, that are going to have a much bigger impact on overall global trade than those PPE trade restrictions. So it's going to be the, you know, the checks on truckers, um, that, that kind of thing. Now, clearly, the, the parallel that we have not really talked about is, is the 1930s Great Depression. The global economy stayed messed up for a really long time. There wasn't as much stimulus as in 2009. Uh, exchange rates just didn't adjust in a way that, that, that could have relieved some of the pressure. You just had a lot of policy mistakes all at once uh, that were just not fixed in a very timely way.
1: And I think that's really, really important. So the big lesson out of all of this, to me at least, and uh, thinking about the potential for trade recovery, it is probably not so much about tariffs or export restrictions. It's about whether policymakers get all of the other policies right, and whether the actual underlying economy gets back get, gets back on its feet relatively soon. Taking into account, of course, all of the necessary health precautions that have to be dealt with first.
0: Okay, I think that is all for, for this week's episode.
1: Huge thanks to all the academic economists whose research we mentioned in the episode. We'll make sure to provide links to all those papers on our website. That is www.tradetalkspodcast.com.
0: Thanks to our audio guy, Colin Warren.
1: And do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Chad Bowne.
0: I'm at Samaya Keynes.
1: And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks.
0: That's not one but two underscores at trade underscore underscore talks. Because two trade collapses are better than one.
1: No, only maybe for some academic economists, researchers, not 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 for the world, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, tariffs feels like such a, an innocent time.
1: Yeah. We were oh, the
0: good old days. We
1: were so young.